today we are kicking off what has become our annual July teaching. It's this umbrella called Your Story Matters. And this is a phrase that honestly, probably I think about five years ago really captured my attention. I was at a conference and it was just sort of a phrase that was said in passing. And sometimes there's phrases, I don't know if this happens for you, but at least for me, this phrase rang some truth in my heart. I mean, it really caused me to pay attention. And so because of that, over the last couple of years, I've had a couple of shirts that just say that phrase, your story matters on it. And anytime I wear it to the gym, find on an airplane, wherever I'm at, typically somebody will see it, they'll look away, then they'll sort of do this double take. And when they do the double take, it's like this recognition lights up in their eyes and they nod, they smile, they like lean in because apparently something about the phrase, your story matters, just resonates with people. And so the idea behind your story matters is your life matters. Let that sink in for a second. Your life really does matter. No matter young or old, in church, out of church, close to God, far away, your life matters, your story matters. And what I found is that if we're intentional, you and I, we can live better stories, but here's what I found is that rarely happens by accident. No, just the way the world works, we don't drift towards greatness. We don't drift towards better stories. We don't drift towards purpose. In fact, what I found is the grinding of the world around us causes us to veer away from better stories, causes us to veer away from significant living. The world around us just wears us down and causes us to drift away from our God-given purpose. And so this reminder this month is to say your life is not an accident. The reason you're on this earth is because God has a purpose for you. Your life matters. Your story matters. If you don't believe me, if you've got a kiddo, I'm telling you the way you live your life matters to that child. If you're a boss, if you're a leader, if you're a manager, the way that you live impacts the employees that serve with you. And it doesn't just impact your employees, it impacts your employees' personal lives and their families. Your life matters. If you're a senior adult, your story matters. For every single one of us, God has a design for our life. He's got something that he's created us to do. And so this reminder is to say, your life is a series of choices and it really does matter. In fact, if you were to fast forward, hopefully a lot of years from now, one day there's gonna be people that gather in a room to talk about your story. One day when we pass away, there's gonna be people that gather around and they're gonna talk about what our hopes were, what our dreams were. They're gonna talk about what our life was like, what mattered to us. They're, they're gonna talk about what it was like to be in relationship with us. They're not gonna talk about our spreadsheets. They're not gonna talk about our work accomplishments. They're not gonna talk about the stuff that we accumulated. They're gonna talk about the story of our life. And that's sobering to think about, isn't it? That one day somebody's gonna tell the story of our life in a 10 minute, 15 minute deal. And here's what I wanna encourage us today. You can decide today what you want said about your story tomorrow. That when we realize that we've still got time, that we've still got margin, that we can start living in such a way that shapes the story that'll be told one day in the future. And so the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about this. In fact, if I could be honest with you, I think next week is probably 
the week I'm most excited about because I'm teaching on something next week that I've never taught about outside of a funeral. And I'm gonna be talking about heaven. I'm gonna be talking about the fact that this earth is not our home. And what I found is that when we act like this is all there is, we make small choices, we live small, we settle for a lesser story. But when you realize this is not our home, it causes us to live even more engaged and with even more purpose. So I wanna encourage you to come back. If there's a week to miss, this was the week, all right? So you blew it, you're here, unless you're watching online. Man, I wanna invite you back. But here's what I wanna do today. I wanna teach you a simple principle, a simple truth that honestly shaped and changed the direction and the way that I see the spiritual life, this, this life that we're meant to live. And I'm telling you, at first, it doesn't seem like a big deal. At first, when you hear it, you're like, well, of course, that makes sense. We're done. Uh, let's pray, let's get out of here. But I'm telling you what's happened for me is I first heard this truth explained similar in a way, I'm gonna explain it today, back in college by my friend, Dave Edwards. He's a pastor and author and speaker guy. In fact, he preached here probably six or seven years ago, just been a mentor and a great friend in my life. But I remember he's the first person that explained this in such a way that it clicked with me and it's really shaped my faith. And so my prayer today is that this truth wouldn't just be in our heads, this truth would drop out of our heads and into our hearts and help us to see the life of faith differently because your story really does matter. So what I wanna do is I wanna invite you, if you got the handout today, if you got a place to take notes, what I wanna do is to talk about a shift that needs to take place in our life. If we're gonna live the life of faith that informs and shapes our story, there's a shift that's gotta take place. At least for me, when I was a kid, the way that I thought about faith, I thought in terms of events. I thought in terms of events. I thought in terms of, I'm just gonna go on Sunday, check the box. Or when it comes to youth camp, I'm gonna go to camp, check the box. Or when revival comes around, I'm gonna go to revival, check the box. I live from event to event to event. I'd go to camp, I'd make some big promise, God, I'm gonna live differently. Then I'd come home after a while, that promise would wear off and I'd start doing my own thing again. And then at just the right time, I'd go to church again and the message would impact me and I'd make another promise. And then I'd go back home and I'd start drifting again. And then at just the right time, something else would happen. And I live from event to event to event. Events aren't bad, but what happened in my life because I had an event-centered faith, it became very transactional. It became very pass or fail like. It became very binary. I'm either on or I'm off for God. I'm either fully connected or I'm walking away. I'm either uh, leaning into my faith or I'm walking the wrong direction. And so this invent mentality created a pass or fail mentality in me and uh, in either on for God or off for God mentality. And I live from event to event to event to event, pass or fail, right or wrong, lots of guilt, lots of shame, lots of uh, just burden and weight. And man, I'm telling you, the secret of growing up in faith is not living from event to event. It's not transactional where we just do something and return. The true life of faith is to step into the journey. It's this idea of instead of having an event mentality to embrace what I call a journey mentality, a journey mindset, where instead of thinking about life as pass or fail event or event or event, that we realize sort of like what Pastor Zach alluded to earlier today, that if we're not dead, then God's not done with us. 
If we still have air in our lungs, God's still working on us. That doesn't happen just in a moment. That doesn't happen just in one event. That doesn't just happen in some sort of microwave version of, of, of walking with God. It's a lifelong journey. It's something that every single day we're part of. That if we settle for an event mentality, we'll live for Sunday to Sunday. We'll live from event to event and we'll miss the maturity that comes through the journey. And so here's what I wanna to do today. I wanna to give you sort of a 30,000 foot view of this journey. I wanna show you the big picture, the milestones of this journey so that you can see the importance of it. And then I'm gonna invite you back over the next couple of weeks as we drill down and some practical applications. So if you've got something to write on, something to write with, if you have a Bible, we're gonna start in Genesis chapter 12 today. Genesis 12, there's a lot of places in scriptures we could look today to talk about this journey mentality, but one of the best examples is a guy named Abraham. Most of us have heard of Father Abraham who had many sons and many, do y'all wanna sing that? No, that's all right, I'm tone deaf. If you don't wanna hear that, Amy can come back up and lead us. Um, so most of us have some familiarity with Abraham, but what most of us don't necessarily embrace is that when we first meet him, his name's Abram before God changes his name, and he's really far away from God. In Genesis 12, he's got a lot of baggage. He's got a lot of craziness. And so if you feel like maybe you've made a lot of wrong choices and there's no way God could use you, man, Abraham ought to encourage you that God can step into your story. And what we begin to see in Abraham's life is we begin to see a journey that doesn't happen in a moment, that doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong thing. And stop number one, if you're a note taker, and I am a point guy, some of y'all know that already. I just think that way it helps me sort of keep track of where I'm at. So it's easy for note takers. The staff gives me a hard time about it, but I'm still a point guy. So uh, stage number one of this journey is number one, when we follow God for the payoff. We follow God for the payoff. The first part of this journey, when people start the journey of faith, they initially, for most people, they start because of what they can get from it. And let me show you how this works out in Abraham's life. Here's what it says in Genesis 12. God shows up and he starts this conversation with Abraham. And it says in Genesis 12, verse one, he says, and the Lord said to Abram, I want you to leave your native country. I want you to leave your relatives. I want you to leave your father's house and I want you to go to the land I will show you. So this is a literal journey for Abraham. I, I want you to go. I want you to leave everything that is comfortable. I want you to leave everything that you're used to. I want you to leave all of that behind and I want you to go to the land I will show you. And then look at verse two. He says, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those that bless you and those that treat you with contempt. I will curse those people. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. What's God doing? God's giving all of these promises to Abraham. God's doling out all of the payoffs to him. He's saying to Abraham in verse two, I'm gonna make you a great nation if you follow me. He's saying to him in verse two, I'm gonna bless you. He says in verse two, I'm gonna make you famous. He says at the end of verse two, I'm, you're gonna be a blessing to others. He says in verse three, I'm gonna bless those that bless you and curse those that treat you with contempt. So in verse four, it says, Abraham departed. Well, no kidding. Why wouldn't he? 
If God shows up in your life and says, if you say yes, if you follow me, I'm gonna make your life work. I'm gonna make everything turn out well. Those that bless you, I'm gonna bless. Those that curse you, I'm gonna curse. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make you famous. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you more stuff than you could ever imagine. I've got a dream, a hope, a plan for you. If God shows up and makes that kind of promise, who wouldn't wanna follow him? What initially gets Abraham onto his feet and onto the journey is the payoff. And it's similar in our life. There comes a moment in our life when we realize there's something we need. There's an unmet need in our life. And there comes a moment in our life where we realize all the ways we've tried to meet that need ourselves without God's help hasn't worked. I mean, being a workaholic, it hasn't worked. Being a perfectionist hasn't worked. Being an achiever hasn't worked. Trying to be the life of the party hasn't worked. Trying to be an intellect thinker, it hasn't worked. Trying to be somebody that makes everybody happy hasn't worked. Trying to be a challenger hasn't worked. Trying to meet our needs ourselves with money and physical things and all of the stuff, it just hasn't worked. And there comes a moment that we come to the end of ourselves and we realize we need the brand new start that only Jesus brings. We need freedom that only Jesus brings. We need forgiveness. We need a sense of hope and, and purpose. We need a brighter future. We need forgiveness. We need eternal life. We need a sense of destiny. We need a share in his kingdom. There comes a moment where we start the journey for the payoff. We start the journey for what we can get, but there's a danger with this stage. The danger of this part of the stage is staying there. In other words, this is where we start and that's okay. This is where everybody comes to Christ, where we start, we start for what we can get, forgiveness of sin, the promise of heaven, hope for the future. Those are amazing payoffs. But the danger of staying at this stage is that if we're not careful, we'll begin to step away from our faith. And the reason why I say that is because there comes a moment in everybody's journey, hear me, there comes a moment in everybody's journey where the payoff isn't obvious any, anymore. There comes a moment in everybody's journey where it feels like God's not as close as he used to be. There comes a moment in everybody's journey that feels like life is tougher than we expected. There comes a moment in everybody's journey where it just feels like maybe this whole thing isn't making a difference. And so if all you've done is followed God for what you can get, the moment you don't feel the payoff anymore, you will be tempted to step away from your faith. Does that make sense? We're tempted to drift, but we all start here. I mean, I grew up going to church. I remember when I was real little, we attended a, a church. I was part of the preschool ministry. I don't remember much about it, but I do remember they served jungle juice and the cookies with the hole in the center. So I put them on my fingers like rings. And so I had cookie bling, right? I was a real, edgy preschooler. And then we uh, shifted churches to a church closer to our house. And I remember as like a third grader falling asleep during church and my brother waking me up, dangling chewed up big red gum in my ear. And I remember the worship pastor saying, turn in, in your hymnals. And for some reason as a third grader, I didn't understand the word hymnal. I thought he was saying hippo, turn in your hippos. I was like, what in the world? And then we moved to Mississippi and I was a little bit older and I started hearing the gospel over and over again. I wasn't a real rebellious kid, but I was a kid that had my own challenges of trying to fit in and having a learning disability and all these things, pieces and parts that, man, just felt like the weight of the world as a sixth grader, as a seventh grader. 
I started hearing my pastor, PJ Scott, talk about what it means to know Christ personally. And, and there came a moment where the light bulb goes on and it's like, I need what Jesus has to offer. We all come to God for the payoff. That's the start of the journey. That's okay. Just don't stay there. It's a journey, not a destination. It's a process, not an event. It starts with stage number one, where we follow God for the payoff, but it leads to stage number two, where we begin to face up to our problems. Stage number two along this journey is when we begin to realize there are weak areas in our life. When we begin to get really honest with ourselves and honest with God that everything's not okay, that we realize there's some things that we need to deal with. There's some things we need to walk through. And so for Abraham, we see this happen over and over again, but let me give you one example. It says down in Genesis 12 and verse 10, it says, and at that time, there was a severe famine that struck the land. So famine means there's no food. And to say that it's severe means it's bad. They don't know what they're gonna do. And so here's what it says in verse 10. It says, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Well, God never told him to go to Egypt. This is not part of God's journey for Abraham. Abraham just knows, man, I don't have enough. There's no food. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? So he did what most of us do. He took matters into his own hands. He's like, I'm I'm gonna go, I'm gonna fix this myself. So he goes to Egypt, but here's the problem in verse 11. It says, as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarah, look, you are a very beautiful woman. So apparently his wife is a total knockout. And so he's like, you're beautiful. Verse 12, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. So let's kill him. Then we can have her. And so he says to her in verse 13, so please tell them you are my sister so that they will spare my life and they will treat me well because of their interest in you. And so here's the first example of many of Abraham having insecurity, Abraham having weaknesses in the middle of this famine. He panics, he takes matters into his own hands. He's on his way to Egypt and he's like, man, you're beautiful. Uh, They're gonna want you. So they're gonna kill me if they know that I'm your husband. So lie to them, say you're my sister. And it's sort of this white lie is not that big of a deal. He justifies it, but there comes a moment where when he takes matters into his own hands, God allows that to be a moment where he says, I want you to face the problems that are in your life. I want you to face your insecurities. I want you to face those things that are underneath the surface. Why does God do that? Why did God do that for Abraham? Why does God do that in our own lives? I believe that God places us in situations where our insecurities come up to the surface, not to hurt us, not to harm us, not to make us feel bad about it, but so that we can deal with them, that we can confront them so that we can become free of the things that are holding us back. Because the truth is those weak areas of our lives have the ability to sabotage the good things in our life those things that we don't wanna deal with, those things that we'd rather push beneath the surface, those things that we wish nobody knew about, nobody talked about, those very things that you don't wanna get real about and I don't wanna get real about are the things that could derail your story. They're really good. And the world we live in, the world says, well, try to hide your insecurity. The world tries to say it's better to look good than to actually be good. The world wires us to think, man, I I need to keep posture. I need to act like I've got it all together. But man, when it comes to God's journey in our life, 
God says, don't ignore those weak areas because those weak areas could sabotage everything that's good in your life. Most of y'all know that every couple years we take a team uh, to Kenya. In fact, the Adams family here, Jeff and Christine were part of this last trip. And uh, somebody thought it would be a great idea before we got on the tiniest plane on the planet that we should try Ethiopian food. (laughs) Do any of y'all actually like Ethiopian food? There's like four of you in a room of 500 people. So that should be a sign, I'm just saying. but it's crazy. So we went to the Ethiopian restaurant and it turns out that thing, that basket that I thought was full of paper towels was actually the bread you're supposed to eat with. Who knew? And then when I unrolled it, I was like, this isn't a towel. This is the spongy stuff you put in your cabinets that your glasses go on. I mean, it's just weird. It's just weird, right? And again, I grew up in Mississippi, so I know I don't get it when it comes to <laughs> Ethiopian food. But we ate the Ethiopian food, and I'm telling you, like 10 minutes into the meal, I could already feel something bubbling up inside of me. <laughs> like, this is not good. This is not good. And then the very next day, we got on one of the smallest planes I've ever been on. I mean, take a look at this plane. It looks bigger in the picture than it does in real life. I mean, it's a small plane, seats like eight or 10 people. We get in the plane, I'm feeling all this gurgling going on inside of me. And then I end up in the very back of the plane where it doesn't even look like I have a seat, does it? So I just throw Bobby in the back. So I'm sitting in the back on a teeny tiny plane uh, I'm in the back end of the plane where it bounces the most. And in the, in the co-pilot seat is Jeff Buser, one of our team members. So that was a little scary as well. I'm like, hopefully they're not gonna give him control of the plane. I don't know, I trust Jeff, but I, I don't know. And so what happened is, man, I, Ethiopian food, food bubbling inside of me, teeny tiny plane, back end of the plane where you feel all the bumps. I'm telling you, every single bump I felt Every single bump I was paying attention to, every single bump was heightened. My sensitivity to the, to, to the turbulence of the plane was heightened big time. And that's sort of what this season feels like. That's what this part of the journey feels like. You would know that you're at the second place of the journey of, of facing up to your problems when, you're, when you have this heightened awareness that there's some junk you need to deal with. You have this heightened awareness that there's some weak areas of your life, that there's this heightened awareness that, man, there are some things that I'm trying to push under the surface, but those are the very things that are killing what God's doing in my life. That's the journey. Don't don't ignore it. Don't stay at stage number one. Embrace it. Lean in and say, God, would you show that to me? So it starts with the payoff. It leads to us facing up to our problems. Then the third stop along this journey is where our focus becomes the person of God. Our focus becomes who God is instead of just what God does for us. In the payoff stage, it's, God, what can you do for me? God, what are you going to do for me? But when you come to stage number three, the focus is not what you can get from God, but who God is. Who is he that he's faithful? He's the provider. He's, He's the one that knows what's best for my life. And so you see Abraham begin to grow into this, even in chapter 13, when it comes time for he and his nephew Lot to go separate directions because both of their families and the herds and crops had grown like crazy. So they have to split up and get a separate parts of the land. 
you would expect at this moment, Abraham to say, I want what's best for me. But instead he, he says to his nephew, take whatever land you want. And basically he's saying, I'm trusting God that he's gonna be with me. And then when you get down to chapter 22, there comes this monumental moment in Abraham's life where he had been praying his whole life that God would give him a son. And in his old age, he thought, there's no way God could do it. There's no way God could give me a son. Finally, God gives him a son. And then there comes this moment in Genesis 22 where God tests his faith. God begins to look beneath the surface of his faith. God begins to say, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one that you love so much and you've prayed your whole life for, I want you to sacrifice him to me. I mean, in our culture, this seems bizarre. In their culture, pagans were doing this. So this felt weird. God, what are you doing? 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 Here's what it says in Genesis 22, verse two. God says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So God says, I want you to lay down the thing that you love. I want you to trust me with the thing that you love the most. And here's what it says in verse three. And the next morning, Abraham got up early and he went. Do you know what's not there in, verse, in chapter 22? What's not there in chapter 22 is, God, what am I going to get in return for this? In chapter 22, there's not, am I going to get a bigger house? There's not, am I going to get twins in return? There's not, am I, am I going to be even more famous? There's not, can I have a book in the Bible named after? In, in chapter 22, there's no payoff. In chapter 22, there, there, there's no payoff. In chapter 12, when he first started, it's what am I gonna get? I'm gonna get a blessing, I'm gonna become famous, I'm gonna bless the nations of the world. But by the time he gets to chapter 22 and God says, I want you to trust me with the thing that you love the most, Abraham gets up and he's willing to do it. We know how the story ends. We know that God provides a sacrifice before anything bad actually happens. We know that God always had a plan for whatever happened on the other side of this test. Abraham didn't know. All Abraham knew is I have seen God work in the past and I know he's gonna work now. See, here's how you would know you're at stage number three. At stage number three, you follow God, not for what you can get, but because of who he is. The closer you get to God, the more deliberate your faith becomes, the more practical your faith becomes, the less um, supernatural it feels, the less uh, warm and fuzzies you feel, and it's more intentional to say, even when I don't see his hand, I'm still gonna trust his heart. Even when I don't sense that he's right beside me, I know from past experience that he is. And here's what I found is that mature faith is accomplished through long obedience in the same direction. That's the goal of the journey. The journey isn't just event to event. The journey isn't just moment to moment. The journey mindset is to say, like Abraham, I'm gonna have ups and downs. Like Abraham, I'm gonna blow it from time to time. In fact, he blows it a number of times. I just didn't show you all of those today. And yet he stays committed to the journey. He stays committed to the path. He stays committed to long obedience in the same direction, which leads him to stage number four, the last stage is number four, when we become 
fully pleased with life. Stage number four is when Abraham is fully pleased with the life that he's lived. When you get to Genesis 25, it says in verse seven, and Abraham lived 175 years. Now, if you're good with numbers, you know that's really, really old. Really old. Way old. Abraham lived 175 years, look at verse eight, and he died a ripe old age, no kidding, having lived a long and satisfying life. This is the journey that Abraham was on. It wasn't overnight. In fact, when we started the story in Genesis 12, he was about a hundred years old. When we end the story in Genesis 25, he's 175 years old. These four stages represent 100 years of walking with God. These four stages represent a life that's committed to the journey. Abraham didn't become known as the father of faith overnight. He didn't become known as the father of faith in a moment. It wasn't an event, it wasn't a one-time thing. He became the father of faith by living a life of long obedience in the same direction. When he died, did he have a lot of stuff? Absolutely. He had a big family, he had a lot of crops, he had a lot of herds. But I think the thing that caused him to die satisfied with life is there came a point in his life where he quit fighting God. There came a point in his life where he quit fighting God and he quit resisting God and he accepted that God had a plan for his life. He finally came to this place where he said, God, you've got all of me. God, you've got all of me. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest truths that you and I could embrace today is to embrace this journey mindset. And the good news is we don't have to wait 100 years or 175 years to start. We can start today. The beginning of a great story and the beginning of a meaningful journey starts with just one step. For some of you, you haven't even started the journey. So maybe the step for you is to put your faith and hope in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I want you to be the leader of my life. That's the first step for the journey. For others of you, you know Christ personally, but somewhere along the way, you've stalled out. Somewhere along the way, you've gotten distracted by life and the world around us and just the temptation of the flesh. And maybe for you, you know Christ, but man, you have stalled out in the journey. And for you, the next step is to say, where am I in the journey? Am I at the place where I need to be honest about the, the problems in my life? Am I at the place that I need to trust God's hand and his heart? Am I at the place where I quit fighting with God? For the believers in the house and watching online to say, where am I at in this journey? And God, would you help me to take one more step in obedience to you? Let me pray for us this morning. Would you bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes? I'd love to pray for what God is doing in this house today. Is there anybody today that would just say, Bobby, as you pray, pray for me. I know Christ personally. I know that I've started this journey. I know that I've said yes to him. But to be honest, I feel like I've gotten distracted or I feel like I've gone astray. I feel like maybe I've stalled out, taken the wrong exit. And you just say, Bobby, pray for me. I wanna stay committed to the journey the ups and downs, the rights and wrongs, the messy middle. 
I want to be the kind of person that stays on the path for a long, long time. If that's you and you'd allow me to pray for you, would you just quietly slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air so I know how to pray for you today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else? You just be honest about that. In fact, even if you're watching online, you can drop us a note at our email, prayer at sugarhillchurch.com, prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. Anybody else? You just say, I, I feel stalled out. I feel distracted. Maybe I've taken a detour. If that's you, maybe you want to pray this part of the prayer as I pray out loud. Maybe in your head and your heart, you just want to say, dear Jesus. And just be honest about where your current status and your walk with him. I feel stalled out. I feel distracted. I feel um, there's stuff I haven't been dealing with. I still am looking for the payoff. I'm more of a tourist instead of a a pilgrim on this journey. God, would you help me to take the next step? God, if it's to deal with sin, God, would you help me to deal with sin? God, if it's to ask for help, would you help me to ask for help? God, if it's to trust your heart when I can't see your hands, help me to replace fear with trust, doubt with this firm belief that you can and you will, that you love your kids. If it's fighting with you, would you help me to quit fighting against you and to align with you, God? Would you help me? Would you just tell them that? God, would you help me? And as we continue praying, is there anybody that would just say, Bobby, pray for me. I'm not sure I've even started the journey. I'm not sure if I've ever said yes to Jesus. I'm not sure if I were to die today where I'd spend eternity, but I want to know. If that's you and you'd allow me to pray for you, would you do the same thing? Just slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air. You're like, Bobby, pray for me. I need to start the journey. I need to start the journey. Yeah. If that's you, you can pray this part of the prayer with me. It's not the words so much as it is the heart behind it. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me and help me to live for you. If you pray that for the very first time, I'd love for you to drop a note on the prayer card in front of you, or again, drop us an email at prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. We'd love to give you some resources this week to help you as you start that journey. Dear Jesus, thank you for the hope of heaven and the direction for today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, before we head out today, I want to invite you to stand with us. And Pastor Zach and the team is going to lead us in this truth as we ask God, God, would you drop this mentality out of our head and into our heart as we get ready to live differently because of this journey. And again, I want to invite you back next week. If you've ever lost a loved one, if you've ever struggled with how do you live in between here and heaven, man, next week is for you. Let's sing this out before we head out. Your grace, suffering washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. It's your